The Spiritual Podcast, uh, sorry, the Spiritual Scientist Podcast is today joined by Angus Hawkins. And Angus is someone I came across uh, watching YouTube videos about Rudolf Steiner and his work, uh, especially in regards to philosophy of freedom. And Angus had organized um, study groups and different talks with different people to really actually work through philosophy of freedom uh, online, which is really exciting to watch and interesting. I haven't watched them all, I have to admit, but um, a lot. <laughs> there's a lot there. <clears throat> but it is a book that, uh, and and it's not just a book, it's a, it's a process uh, that I've struggled with a lot. I sort of came to Steiner's work a different way around through um the book how to know higher worlds or knowledge of the higher worlds how it how is it attained and so the philosophy of freedom is this is something that i've actually got a goal uh this year to by by christmas i want to have worked through it properly so that's that's a goal i've got and i'm hoping angus can help me i will definitely will definitely uh tackle that one uh seriously there's something really interesting going on in a group based in germany actually but i'll we can talk more about that uh, yeah okay to the conversation sure well uh welcome to the podcast it's great to have you here and we have had a preliminary conversation just to make sure that neither of us were um psychopaths or something like that. well <laughs> well we probably we probably still could be but <laughs> but we're, we're nice we're nice psychopaths who like to have a conversation so <laughs> yeah, um right. uh, sorry i i jest but um yeah where should we start angus i mean i've got a couple of specific things about philosophy yeah. of freedom but maybe maybe do you want to give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself maybe how you came sure. to be doing this work uh Okay, so I'm wondering how far I should go back in time. I'm an old guy now, so I can go back quite far. But I'll, we, we talked about this, and I thought it, it, it gives an interesting background. Um, and you might like to link it into your own process. But this question of how people come into contact with, with Steiner is, is always an interesting uh, question to ask. How, how, how did it happen? What was going on in your life? And for me... Mm. I'm going back to 1992, I'd returned to the UK after living in Germany for three years. And I was going to be studying business at, uh, at the University of Plymouth down in the southwest of England, close to not very far from Tintagel uh, in the background there. And um, I'd never, when I lived in Germany, I'd never come across uh, Steiner. In actual fact, I don't think I'd read any philosophy up to that point in my life. And but when I returned to when I went to university, I started in reading a lot of new age new age literature. It's like everything. There was a bookshop down in the Barbican in uh, in Plymouth, and I'd go down there and buy the books, whatever was there. And I came across loads of interesting people. I remember one person particularly interesting at that stage was a guy called Edgar Casey. Um, I read, read books by him, and. For about nearly two years, I was like fed. I was like, I ate this content the whole time. Um, and this is actually what I'm about to describe is something I've heard. It's actually fairly similar to other people's processes that uh, that went that that happened to me. Um, after about two years or so, it was, yeah. There's all these ideas about uh, what could be, um, but where's the truth? Is there any truth even? 
Um, so these these really hard questions, just like your your world is sort of like blown open by by this like floor of ideas, like a lot of them coming from the West, but also it's like Western esoteric uh, traditions. Um, and there was one so like one small question, and it's like a whole bunch of questions for me, which was interesting. Which was the Atlantis? Was there anything to the Atlantis myth? And I happened to mention that to my then girlfriend, now wife's uh, cousin, who was studying Uithmi. I didn't know what Uithmi was at that stage. And she said to me, oh, you might want to try Steiner. I think he's written something about it. So next time we were, I was in Sweden at the time then, we, we headed down to Gothenburg and I went to the bookshop and I found a book and he was mentioned. Uh, and he, it, they didn't actually say much about it, about it in the book, but it was enough to whet my appetite. So I thought, when I go back to the UK uh, to, to, to carry on studying, it would have been my third year, at uni second year at university. I thought, uh, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll see what's in the library there. And the first book that I found was The Philosophy of Freedom. And I read that. Um, I, I still, I can still remember some of those images. So my, I, I played a lot of badminton at the time there, and we used to take the bus up to the badminton at, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but it's, it's a little bit outside Plymouth. And the guys, I was usually sort of like quite lively. Uh, the guy said, what, what, what's Angus doing? He's reading a book about philosophy, and they were sort of <laughs> mocking me a little bit. So it was, it was like quite out of character for me. Um, anyway, I finished reading that book. Um, and thought, this is really interesting, uh, but I've understood really this feeling. I, I know there's something of value there. Um, and possibly even at that stage, I could have said the real, at the real centre, he like said something deeply, deeply profound that you can't say anything about reality uh, without without thinking okay he's like really positing it's like the, at the base of absolutely everything we can say about anything you have to assume thinking and that's like that struck me deeply um anyway so i read that book but i was i can't say i was enamored i, I was intrigued um and then i picked up a book the uh, there were only two books in the library i think um uh, the other book was how do angel how does the angel or how do angels work in the astral body and I read that and uh, I am um, I can still remember standing outside that library in Plymouth I think it was quite a nice day actually and saying to myself Angus you're not going to reach Steiner again you're never going to reach Steiner again it's like it was too wacky it was too 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 far out um but <laughs> that's obviously not what happened uh that would have been in april 94 um but i was due to do my year out in uh and originally sorry i'm, I'm going on a little bit here but it's there's lots of interesting <laughs> i'm missing out a lot of details if that's any uh, constellation i was actually supposed to be studying in uh kiev uh, kharkiv in the Ukraine. I'd learned a bit of Russian oh, yeah. and I was keen to go there. But basically, I, I wasn't able to go to the Ukraine because they didn't have any fax paper. I'm simplifying the story, but the essence of it is true. 
I didn't go there because of fax paper. So my supervisor at university, he said, um, uh, how about going to Finland in, uh, instead? I mean, they probably speak some Russian there or something like that. It's quite close. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he, he wasn't so hot on languages. Um, but anyway, I, I went to Finland in the, in the autumn there in August. And uh, that's, that's where my life changed because um, I was going to do a project that I couldn't complete. But in the meantime, my supervisor, sort of whilst I was studying in Turku, it's a town southwest of uh, Finland, um, she had realised that I spoke German, that I knew who Steiner was. And she said, so would you like to investigate what he had to say about the Kalevala? Which is basically, you've got Tintagel in the background. It's a little bit, the, the national epic of Finland is this book called the Kalevala. And I said, yeah, yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know what else to say because I was just like, I had nothing else like planned. Um, and this was a unique situation. I didn't realise this until afterwards. But actually, there was a rich, there was an industrial magnet um, who uh, who created a foundation um, and like instituted a library, a, a, a library of all of the lectures. So that's obviously all the 6,000 lectures, all the books that Steiner wrote, but a lot of other books about esotericism, hermeticism and, and religious texts. And it was there. So I was asked to do a piece of work in which Steiner's entire works, I mean, nowadays, that's no big deal because you can just go on the web. But back then, that was huge. And I'd walked into this situation and uh, I lived in that library for three, three, four months whilst I was studying there doing this work. And uh, it changed my life. So that's how I came. Wow. To, to to Steiner. Mm. How does that? Uh, Very interesting. Uh, yeah. What about you? What about you? Yeah. So, um, well, it's just it's really interesting to hear that. I've got a very good um, friend who's Finnish. Actually, I must. Uh, I've never talked about, never asked her about the Finnish myths. So that'd be interesting to mention to her. But um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. By the way, it, it's. I always find it really interesting as well to hear. It's not just interesting; it's kind of moving and and a bit and quite mysterious as well. I think it's often yeah. you either bump up against this thing and then dive into it, or or you don't. You know, so the interesting things going on there. But um, yeah, I was sort of I was early twenties. Um, from at about nineteen, I started looking into spiritual things, and a bit like you, reading lots of different New Age. Mm-hmm. new age stuff um bit of buddhism actually there was a there was an american born guru um i think his name's Adi da he's he's dead now but um <clears throat> my my girlfriend at the time who didn't become my wife <laughs> <laughs> um her her auntie i i borrowed her auntie's car and I was teaching music and driving around to different places. And uh, in the car were these tapes and the tapes were like conversations of this American born guru guy. Yeah. And I was like, in, I was blown away. I, I was almost considering going and joining the ashram, which was, there was one near Melbourne somewhere. Uh, I didn't thankfully, <laughs> but um, 
yeah, all the and I was really exploring lots and lots of different things, but just these concepts that concepts about enlightenment, concepts about you know that we were a that we were a spiritual being and not just a physical being, and all this stuff, which in my late teens I kind of rejected. <clears throat> um, they came back came back in full force, I suppose, around that age, and then. Yeah, I won't go too much into it, but there was just one interesting experience with this guru guy. Actually, I bought his book and I started reading it. And I think he was really probably quite an advanced person spiritually. But towards the end of the book, he says, I am the God man and you have to worship me, you know, oh, wow. basically. And when I read that, I, I, I actually dropped the book. I, th I threw it down and kicked it <laughs> under my bed. And then that night I couldn't actually have it under the bed. And so I actually went and threw it out. I should have burned it probably, but I just threw it in the bin. Um, and I didn't recycle it, which is probably not good. But um, that was yeah, so really, back in the day. Yeah, wasn't oh, that's it? Right, yeah. <laughs> that and uh, I still allow myself to throw out peanut butter jars. So that's a big confession today, but peanut butter jars, who's going to clean them out anyway? Uh, so yeah, lots of different spiritual things. Tried tried out different meditations, Buddhist Buddhist stuff, and just dabbled really. Um, and then one day I went into this bookshop and asked for a book about meditation, uh, which was just around the corner from my house in in Melbourne, in Kew. If anyone knows uh, Melbourne suburbs at all, and originally it was called Books for the Journey, but it was it got changed to the Steiner Bookshop. But I didn't really know anything about steiner at that time and i went in and interestingly they didn't try and sell me a book the lady said oh we've got a library of rudolf steiner upstairs and you'll find something about meditation up there i went okay i went up and I, I had a bit of a look and then i said um i think i said there's a lot of books up there can you help me and it turns out that that was actually the home of the anthroposophical society in in um, melbourne as well and i can't actually remember if she pointed me towards how to know higher worlds or if I just found it, but I opened it up and basically from the first couple of paragraphs, something in, inside me just said, this is Nothing. me. You've got, is... We've all got a seed in us. It's, it has to capture you, doesn't it? Yeah. It was like, uh, it was what I've since heard described as the moral logic. It was this impeccable, you know, it was scientific in a sense. It was logic. It was really very logical, but it was this, the moral logic of it that, that really grabbed me. And, um, that was it. Basically. I just read voraciously from that point on and I haven't really stopped. So it's been over 20 years of, uh, and, and practicing the exercises on and off as well. Yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's my journey. But, um, I am really interested in, philosophy of freedom because it's something i haven't i've yeah. i've tried to read it several times and the last time i tried or the last time i did read it i did understand a lot more and i did have more experiences that made sense to me but um maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what what the book is or what the purpose of that particular text is wow um or if there's a better question, if it's simpler to describe yeah, in right words, where to start? Um, there's, if, if you're people familiar with uh, spiritual science, anthroposophical 
thinking will will have heard various quotes about the importance of the philosophy of freedom and i'd heard them and one of the famous ones is by uh, johannes uh, walter von stein uh uh, where he he asked Steiner, so like, what's going to be left of anthroposophy in a thousand years? And he says, the philosophy of freedom. So already there, he's like, whoa. <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's, he's putting a lot of focus on this book. But um, if I, if I like, skip forward, it's like in my, in my uh, story there. So forward wind to uh, basically around about 18 months ago when the world was going absolutely mad. I mean, it, it is still mad. Um, but uh, in relation to the conversation you're going to be having with this other person uh, in the not so distant future, the, the madness around uh, a coof. Um, and this was had taken me to a stage where I had informed myself enough to be certain but this isn't what it was made out to be by by TPB, yeah? The powers. Oh, I missed out a T in there, didn't I? TPTP. Oh, right. Can we, okay, we can't say that on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what we were allowed to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so um, uh, I had realised... I had to do something because you described so you haven't stopped reading Steiner for it's like 20 years since you first encountered him. And for me, I had a, a slight incredibly intense period. It's like for between like being in Finland and basically having kids, um, which would have been about seven years later, seven, eight years later. It's like, no kids, you got time to do these type of things. and You can dedicate yourself to, to a lot of study. And I did a lot. And then kids come along and I kept on reading, but obviously not as intensely. Uh, I had a business to run. I worked as uh, I had my own business where I was basically my job was to get people to talk in English and to give lessons. But basically, basically it was getting people to communicate in English and fantastic job. Uh, got to know a lot of interesting people, but that meant so like the time was being dedicated to um, anthroposophical studies. But we come to this moment uh, of 18 months, two years ago, um, and I, I realised I have to do something. And that stage, I'm reading, I'm rereading for the probably third or fourth time, the series, the 12 lectures by Stein on the uh, Gospel of John, uh, one of my, one of my absolute favourites. And in the final uh, in the final lecture of that, I'm actually going to read it. Uh, if I, yeah, I'm just going to read it uh, so that uh, we've got uh, a little bit of meat here. Um, so I, I was rereading this book, this series of lectures, which I really enjoy. And uh, Steiner says, um, the refashioning of the astral body indirectly through meditation and concentration is called by an ancient name, catharsis or purification. Catharsis or purification has as its purpose the discarding from the astral body all that hinders it from becoming harmoniously and regularly organised, thus enabling it to acquire higher organs. It is endowed with the germ of these higher organs, what he talks about in Knowledge of the Higher Worlds, 
It is only necessary to bring forth the forces which are present in it. We have said that the most varied methods can be employed for bringing about this catharsis. A person can go very far in this matter of catharsis if, for example, he has gone through and inwardly experienced all that is in my book, The Philosophy of Spiritual Activity, and feels that this book was for him a stimulation and that now he has reached a point or reached the point where he can himself actually reproduce the thoughts just as they are presented. Okay, and he, he goes on in that, um, in that lecture. And that really spoke to me at that specific moment in time. I, I probably read it at that stage. I might have read it about five, six, seven times. Each time you uh, learn a little bit more, but I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to do something. And I made contact. There's a, there's a guy on the net called uh, Tom Last, and I did a little bit of little bit of work with him for we, reasons that I don't need to go into here. Uh, uh, his uh, how can I put this diplomatically? Uh, his perception of what the philosophy of freedom is has nothing to do with anthroposophy, if I could put it like that. Um, and he would he would I think he would be quite happy if. Uh, if he heard me making that statement. But for me, that was hugely problematic because uh, the philosophy of freedom is that the activity, the spiritual activity that he's talking about in the title, and which we'll dig into in a little bit, um, is it, it, it's that out of this activity that the whole of spiritual science emerges. Um, um, Angus, just to, just to yeah. clarify... Um, you mentioned that that title because the there are a few a couple of different titles in English. So one is the philosophy of freedom. The philosophy of spiritual activity is another. Um, intuitive thinking as a spiritual path is another title. Just just in case anyone didn't yeah. catch that, that's it's a good point. Um, and and really, the, the spirit, spiritual activity was the one that Steiner recommended as a title, and it's the one that they've used in this um, in, in this particular lecture. But at the heart of it is really um, this: once we get to really, truly know what our thinking is, experience it, not because somebody else is telling us it as a doctrine. Or a guru, it's like, I know better, it's like you've got to look at it like this. But there is this invitation to discover this activity that lives, not just lives in you, but actually is the whole basis of your being. Okay? Because if we come back to that, that point that I made earlier, there is no statement that we can make about life or ourselves without thinking about it. So it's not just a it's not just a cute metaphor. It's not just an analogy. This this is quite literally the essence of our being. It is out of thinking that we are born. As Steiner says in in the philosophy of uh, spiritual activity, we live by the grace of thinking. Um, I think I think it's really important to to emphasize that. So, you know, with all of our scientific advancements and the world we live in is very much, how shall I say it? It's very much imbued and 
full of this scientific way of thinking uh, mm-hmm. that that takes it as granted that what we look at when we look out at nature that we're actually seeing it correctly that what we're seeing is just what it is and then we we take our measurements or we do our experiments and then we measure what happened and then we repeat it or we get someone else to repeat it and so therefore we come to discover the way things behave or we come to discover facts or scientific truths and it's like um throughout the history of philosophy uh philosophers have taken these these various steps and i had a great conversation with matt segal recently uh, where he sort of walked us through it quite well. It was a bit. It, it was a bit too much for me, to be honest. <laughs> he, he's. Uh, he, he was. He was brilliant. I just need to go back and watch the video a few times. But, um, you know, you you go back to David Hume, who sort of was the most intense skeptic, and said, basically, got to the point where basically said, we can't ever know anything about anything. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, our limited ability to uh know anything about anything and so he basically becomes as matt correctly said an agnostic about everything about knowledge itself and then you know you have other thinkers and i'm probably going to get it wrong about what order they come in but uh emmanuel kant you know gets to the point of saying um well actually what does he get to the point of saying i'm probably not going to articulate it very well but um steiner really sort of pushes the envelope with everything it goes further and it's like the history of philosophy led, has led us back to the point of going actually what is the the tool that we use to understand anything it has to start with thinking and if we don't know what that is how can we know what anything else is <laughs> i don't know if that's a very good way to put it but okay let's, let's jump a little bit into Kant there because there's another really important book that is the prologue to the philosophy of freedom, which is Truth and Science or Truth and Knowledge, uh, Wahrheit and Wissenschaft. Uh, and is actually is hugely helpful to have read that as well. And the, the, the guys that I work with, Jeff, Jonathan and Kate, we're looking at the idea of actually expanding our series. It's like going forward to really go deep into that book because some of the problems that arise, the questions, natural questions that arrive, oh, sorry, arise for you, for a reader in four, they're actually comprehensively dealt with in three. So, and sorry, you, you mean that by three and four, you mean these first GA three or CW? Yeah, yeah, uh, these first, first four texts uh, of, of, of Steiner. So, yeah, um, yeah, just to make sure that's clear. Yeah. Um, so we're probably going to do a series on there because there was, th- for example, uh, you'll hear quite competent uh, anthroposophists talking about the problem of something that's referred to as the given. We don't need to go into detail unless, unless it becomes uh, obvious that we do. Um, but actually, he deals with this this issue that he brings up very briefly uh, in chapter three or four. I can't remember exactly where it is. Um, but it's comprehensively dealt with in three, so that it, having read that, you can go into four and go like, a, "Whoa, I know what this is," rather than "What on earth is going on there?" But I was going, we were going to talk about Kant. Um, yeah, so the reason I mentioned GA three is because 
in that, basically Steiner clearly elucidates on how the fundamental, one of the fundamental uh, mistakes that Kant makes, uh, despite, I mean, he's he's very uh, careful as anybody who reads Steiner is, he's like, he, he gives him praise where it's due, how his philosophy is a huge leap forward in certain sense, but also how um, he is, there is a bias, he's set conditions for uh, what can be counted as a theory of knowledge, epistemology. How do we, this question, how do we know things? And Steiner demonstrates in GA3 that he wasn't unconditional. He, he already set some conditions by which he would judge whether it was a valid epistemology or not. Sorry, is that is that Kant that does that or Steiner? Exactly. And, and Stein right. is demonstrating how he isn't, how this can't be considered a true epistemology because he's already setting conditions, which obviously are based in thinking. Okay, and then you have to have then you would have to have um, justifications for those conditions, which all require thinking. So it, it's it, it's uh, <clears throat> one one way you can describe it as all of these epistemologies that don't actually tackle the topic of what thinking actually is which is basically every epistemology prior to steiner is all of these are floating in the air they don't have a real foundation you might like to call it i don't know um genetic uh epistemology or um i don't know whatever types of uh, things that you think like form the absolute but mathematical uh, epistemology all oh, right yeah so so genetic as in genesis that the genesis of something yeah oh i think quite literally with it's like genetics like using that as the basis for understandings like mm-hmm. all theory of knowledge or evolutionary biology and using that saying that's the truth and we're going to base our theory of knowledge our, our, our understand of everything based on that but you had to think to get to an evolutionary, uh, 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 an evolutionary idea on what ep- epistemology is. Oh, sorry, I, I, I phrased that incorrectly. You have to have thought about it to say that this is an evolutionary epistemology. And Steiner demonstrates how Kant makes this uh, this mistake, and then this becomes sort of like part of the basis for. Um, finding the answer uh finding a solution to this contradiction about how can we how can we even know anything about the world and that means going into a recognizing that it is thinking which allows us to know the world what is the relationship of thinking to the world what is our relationship to thinking and this is it is it's uh, it's a he says, well, just I'll bring back up that text. Uh, it, you know well, you're not the only one who's uh, struggled with this. There are lots of uh, people. But there's an, that text that I was reading a little bit for, before, a little bit further in the lecture from Luke, uh, from uh, John, he says, um, catharsis will be developed to a high degree, reading this. For the important point in such things as this book is that the thoughts are all placed in such a way that they become active. 
in many other books of the present, just by changing the system a little, what has been said earlier in the book can just as well be said later. In the philosophy of spiritual activity, this is not possible. Page 150 can be as little placed 50 pages early in the subject matter as the hind legs of a dog can be exchanged with the forelegs. So the book is a logically arranged organism and the working out of the thoughts it in it has the effect similar to an inner schooling. So we are really going to school when we uh, when we read this book, and that makes that makes big demands uh, on us. Um, yeah, that, that's a, I think that's a really good point. Um, when I was talking to Matt Segal as well, he was saying that um, it's in a similar way to reading Hegel and the other German idealists that you're actually you're actually doing something <laughs> you're actually going through a process you're actually working on something just by reading reading it um and i think that's very very much the case with philosophy of freedom or philosophy of spiritual activity yeah um and and in that sense it's, you could we could do like an analogy with learning mathematics if the foundations aren't in place, like plus, minus, divide, and multiply, then select any any more advanced mathematics, it's sitting on shaky, uh, shaky foundations. So it requires a rigorous honesty uh, with your own thinking and whether you've understood it. And and we can also I, we all deceive ourselves because w- when we think we've understood it. There's a, there's a, there's a tendency to think, oh, right, I got it, and I've fallen into this before. Okay, yeah, now because there is this genuine sensation, uh, uh, experience. My my thinking has grown. I am uh, conceptually, I've become clearer about an aspect where, so like my my thinking was fuzzy before, but that isn't. It requires like many many times the more often we go through it the sharper the clarity becomes about like what are why is he saying this here and now and like he says why couldn't he have said it 10 pages earlier or 10 pages later um it becomes um yeah thought edifice i mean where you can't if the first floor can't you can't build the second floor before you've built the Um, but the first floor yeah and i think that sort of goes back to what i was saying as well about that it's that it's a a process that it's a it's a work that you're doing as opposed to just a series of concepts that you try to understand um and i think i read a paper a little while ago um i'll have to find it to remember what it is or i put it in the comments below or something but it was but it was this philosopher i think he's was writing back in the 80s and he does a beautiful job of very simply laying out the history of philosophy and where we've got to now or where we've got to you know after david hume and emmanuel kant and and sort of what they did what they actually did what they gave us and what they moved us towards and he his conclusion where he comes to is either we have to admit that we can't know ever know anything about anything in re- in reality in reality yeah. or, it's all, all illu- illusion it's all an illusion or 
we dive back into um, religious dogma. And so that's what he does. He he then says, we just have to go back and become religious. He, he, he says about going into the Orthodox church because religion is the only thing that can take us beyond that point, according to him. Hmm. And so I think that's, that's where a lot of people are at right now. Just so just to sort of make this relevant to today, I think a lot of people have, have realized or even come to this, the stage, especially with the, in the postmodernist way of thinking that a lot of people have today. A lot of people will say phrases like, you know, nothing means anything. There is no meaning. We're just a material being. And as soon as, we die that's the end and that's it the universe has no meaning the cosmos has no no purpose and so there is this nihilism that is sort of just floating around in the air and it's built into sort of everything you read you open a newspaper and it's it's in the background of the way we speak even and so i think we've reached this point and especially in regards to what happened over the last couple of years where people uh, either saying nothing means anything and he- just go into into nihilism i mean if you really think about it that doesn't add up that whole thing anyway because uh if nothing means anything then the sentence nothing means anything doesn't yeah. mean anything it's okay. <laughs> but anyway uh and then they either do that or they go back to religious dogma and just hold on to the dogmas in whichever uh, brand of that they they want to go to and i i feel like i feel this desperate longing to to say read philosophy of freedom or or even anything else of steiner to sort of find a way in that there is another way there is a third there is a third option <laughs> that might be a very simplistic way to put it but that's how I, what i see happening it, it, it's there's another key idea this if i can remember how this was phrased but uh, Steiner mentions how the concept of authority is something that has to die. We have to become our own authorities. Um, and what that means is that it's like the scepticism we're seeing towards it's like reaching levels we couldn't have even begun to imagine 20 years ago. Steiner basically said, this is coming. Uh, and he, I'm not saying he was the only one, but he was particularly clear. It's like any any spiritual understanding of the world has to be based in an own experience and not a doctrine and not a dogma. And this is really why the philosophy of freedom is unique. If we compare, just compare, it's like knowledge of higher worlds with, uh, with the philosophy of freedom. When you read... Uh, knowledge of uh, higher worlds there's an impeccable logic uh, in that book but you still are taking uh, certain things that he's saying it's like in good faith it's like you're saying I'm 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 neither rejecting or nor accepting but I'm I'm playing with the idea but as as the exercises get more demanding I mean if you're going to really invest all the uh, meditative concentration effort, you've got to have a strong belief that there's real substance to what Steiner is saying. And it is, in that sense, it's a leap of faith. 
Philosophy of freedom is a different kind of leap of faith because rather than uh, entering directly into specific meditative exercises, recommendations on how you, um, you've got, um, let's take like the, 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 the seed, um, the seed meditations there. So like you, you do this for a certain reason and it's explained more or less why it's important and how it will slowly begin to work. And there are other books like Road to Knowledge and mm. 16 and 17, I can't remember the other title, but which are also like a series of meditations which you, which you chew over. So there's, there's that approach. Whereas the philosophy of freedom is saying, know your thinking. That that which created everything you know is your true essence. And if you follow that thread far enough, you'll arrive at exactly the same place as knowledge of the higher world is going to. Uh, but the huge difference being is you're not actually having to accept anything on authority everything that's laid out is argued in such a way that it becomes obvious that this is a correct description of what thinking is itself it's like it's its essential nature and this is where this is where the second title uh, it's like a philosophy of spiritual activity becomes really uh, pertinent is because as you dig into it, you don't just believe or accept on faith that thinking is a spiritual activity. You begin to experience directly how it is. Um, and so, so the, as the, I was, I'm trying to contrast that's like the two the two paths in so like to, to spiritual science and why the philosophy of how the philosophy of freedom is different. And then Shine has got this also uh, curious uh, expression about specifically about the philosophy of freedom. And he talks about it being the safer path, which is also an interesting idea. Why, why does he uh, say it like that? And, um, yeah, I've got I've got my my own thoughts um, uh, around that, but I don't well, sh- want share, to. Go yeah, sh- share your own thoughts. I mean, I would just say as well, um, just to add to what you've said about the the difference. I think you can treat how to know higher worlds that book um, and the exercises therein. They can be treated like a scientific experiment in many ways. Yeah. Try this out see if it bears fruit for you. And that doesn't mean necessarily um, that I'm going to begin having spiritual experiences immediately or anything like that. But because of the, what I call the moral logic of the book, you immediately see how doing that particular exercise, especially when it comes to the the actual moral aspects, um, for example, um, the exercise which is often referred to as open-mindedness so when you hear something not to immediately form a judgment for or against it but rather to keep the question open keep a 
keep a question mark next to it until you have sufficient information to form a judgment. When you practice that and try it out, you see how that is just helpful in life. (laughs) And he does say at one point in that book, um, even if someone isn't on a spiritual path or wanting to develop esoteric um, perceptions or anything like that, that it's still going to be a good thing to do in life. And I would maybe add that it would be also good, probably, or it could be good to practice those things along with the path of the philosophy of spiritual activity um, as well. So just, that's just what I wanted to add. Absolutely. That's like the six thinking exercises that you're referring to there. They are, yeah. If, if those aren't in place, then uh, they will, uh, they will either have to fall into place for you. um, uh, And if they don't, like also the philosophy of freedom isn't going to, is is it going to make sense to you? Um, Because all of the, the, the thinking exercises that you describe are teaching you to be more conscious of how your thinking affects decisions, emotions, uh, and all this type of thing. Right. Yeah. I hadn't actually thought of it like that before. That's maybe the path of the philosophy of freedom gets you, gets you to, by observing your thinking, you do that anyway. Um, or maybe the two books or what's in the two books um, speaks to each speaks to each other if it's yeah i mean uh sergey prokofiev he did a book uh, anthroposophy and the philosophy of freedom where he, he 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 basically he maps out how th- this idea that we're talking to here that the philosophy of freedom and uh, knowledge of higher worlds are both heading in the same direction oh uh, that's right you actually mentioned that in our last conversation so that yeah. that, that got and, me very and, excited yeah and I, I i mean perhaps we perhaps at some stage we do like have a look at that together but uh it's it, it is really valuable it's just like how, how they mutually support each other um but the focus on thinking being itself being a spiritual activity and experiencing that directly is something that doesn't grow directly out of a reading of out of a reading and an understanding of knowledge of higher worlds through practice it does but reading and understanding of uh the philosophy of freedom that's it's um my my channel's called the exceptional state and in chapter three he he digs into uh this this exceptional state what what is it it's this realization um and and i'm only i'm scraping the surface here when i describe it but let's say um look at a tv screen imagine we're watching a a television uh, program or whatever and we see all of these pixels dancing in different colors and we make sense of it and the sounds coming out we also make sense of those and that's like that's the full reality for us now when it comes to a television all of us are capable of understanding that there were actors that were standing on stage and there were directors and there's the whole sort of like entourage of people these events really took place in the past 
and they weren't dead pixels on a screen uh, and so like and, and dead speakers vibrating sound no these were real people talking and doing and that has been recorded packaged it's like sent through uh, sent through electrical signals so that we can so that we can receive it that that type of relation something real has created a simulation as you dig into the exceptional state that becomes a direct experience instead of a theory so you 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 realize you there's this there's this dawning awareness that as i if i really consider or consider sounds like i'm thinking about it i don't say i'm thinking about it if i let the impulse that created the thoughts that i have i so i i don't think about the thoughts but try to sense the activity that created those thoughts that's already then i am beginning to uh meet up with this essence that is at the root of all thinking and this once this process is reaches a certain intensity uh, steiner says that that's when objective imaginative consciousness arises and it's like a meeting with the guardian at the threshold a realization that <laughs> that i am not the television screen going back to our metaphor i am not the television screen i am this everything that created what was put on that television screen i don't know if, i don't know if you mm. follow my thinking yeah uh, i i have i think i have followed it and i think the the key that i got in there when you were speaking was that it's not observing the thinking the thoughts themselves it's observing or observing is that the right word no it, it, it's, it actually technically it's exactly the right word right yes. okay yes well, <laughs> okay that was a fluke um observing the activity of thinking so yeah yeah and, and, and <laughs> well how it arises to... is, is it like is it like how it how it arises where it comes from uh, i don't yeah. know all of those all of those i think you can it's um it throughout throughout history so this this contact it's been described as so like the absolute it's the Einsoff, it's the uh it's the one of plotinus it's this something is the logos it's the something that creates everything but we are just living in the little thing that it's created and thinking that's its essence whereas we've seen what it can create as opposed to its essence we're stuck we're stuck in our own selves, which is an important part of the process that um this isn't um this isn't a philosophy that like tries to negate the value of life it's trying to find the correct relationship as a as a as a human being i am standing as a uh as, as like a pass through point for it's like this this i live in the physical world and my 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 senses they 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 partake in that but i am also a a, a spiritual being in the sense that's like these impulses uh, uh can also work through me consciously 
or unconsciously. But, uh, okay, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot in there. I wrote down a word earlier that um, that made what you just said just then made me think of where he he says the universal cosmic process. He uses a phrase, the universal cosmic process, and it sounds kind of out there, but it's not. He, what did you, can you say what he means by that? So it, uh, what I think you might be speaking to, and again here, so we're, we're as soon as, um, there's this saying, which should go something along the lines of, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the mystics from the, I think it's Angelus Lysias who said something along the lines of truth, dies on my lips and what it means is as soon as i try to utter a truth i've also excluded all the other billions of truths that are out there so in the context of of that it's like a, it's like a so we, we just should, answer we to your just, question we should just stop talking now and, and <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, there's there's great emphasis uh, one of the one of the problematic concepts uh, for people coming to the philosophy of freedom uh, fresh, uh, especially if they don't have any interest in anthroposophical thinking, is the universal activity of thinking. So we coming back to this idea, so like we can say nothing about the world uh, without thinking about it. This universal activity is that which is giving us thoughts to give us little insights into how the world works. Or I'm going to actually be slightly more technical. Um, at, when that activity lives in us, we create concepts which then allow us to recognize the truth of them in the outside world. So it's not... You, you talked about the scientific process. Science like tends to think the truth is out there. It's like the X-Files. Um, uh, the, they're not wrong about that. <laughs> but what they're not clear about is the relationship of how their thinking actually informs that when we see the world, if we, if we just perceive the world without thinking, it is nothing so i know that sounds stupid to somebody who hasn't thought about these things but quite literally perception any type of sensory perception without thinking is nothing or perhaps i accept is nothing and everything at the same time because only once you start thinking about it can you start to pull out like certain aspects of it and talk about it yeah, that um, makes me think of, about. I think it's a, an example. Maybe maybe Steiner actually uses the example of somebody who is born blind and then has an operation and gains their sight. When they first can, when they can first see, there's nothing. There's just a mess of light or not light or whatever. They because they don't have any don't have the concepts for what they're perceiving but you said but you said there is nothing if if we don't think for us 
for us for us as as yeah. knowing human beings there is yeah. nothing without thinking because the world like these concepts that we it's like that we create within ourselves and then recognize in the outside world which allow us to make sense and describe the world and to do mm. the science and this type of thing those concepts are real uh, so, so the concept of gravity it's something that affects like all uh, all, all material objects um, but if we haven't got that concept then then it's not there and then if you strip away any concepts then we can't say anything about reality itself even though those like the conceptual understanding of that world controls that world or is like it's is described conceptually it it becomes very tricky to to talk about it i think i think it is very tricky to talk about you have to actually experience it and there is a good way to do that um I've got a great book by Henry Bortoft. Do you know who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the wholeness of nature, and <laughs> there's a there's a brilliant picture in there, and it's just a it just looks like a whole lot of squiggles <laughs> on yeah. the page. But when someone then tells you or you read what is in that picture, all of a sudden you see. Is it the, the giraffe one? Yeah, I wasn't going to spoil it. Maybe I'll pop it up. Maybe I'll pop it up. But um. Yeah, then you realize that actually without the concept, you can't you can't perceive anything. You can't perceive anything. And that, I think, right. yeah. Uh, wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad you, you brought that in because it, it, in that one example, you can experience directly without anybody telling you how you it's you don't see with your eyes you see with your thinking okay so we were taking in those impressions of the the black blotches so like in this circle but we couldn't see anything until and then you go of course yeah it's a giraffe yeah (laughs) and 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 that's what so this this the the philosophy of spiritual activity is saying really take this idea seriously the world is nothing we see with our thinking not with our eyes and the deeper you enter into the extent to which that is true the more you're entering into like directly into a um into the activity of thinking itself and beginning to experience how it is a spiritual activity it's 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 an essence um that informs every perception that we have informs every decision we ever make it is (laughs) it is that which is the basis of our lives that sounds like a pretty good place to wind up uh although i could we could go on for hours actually but that's a that sounded like a nice rounding off point did you have something to add yeah i did so i don't know how long we'd be going an hour so i I do think uh one point that we haven't touched on um which was like you talked about uh i don't know whether it was a new year's resolution to to look into the philosophy of freedom we didn't get into the whole story of 
uh, other things. But there's, I would like to mention an, initi an initiative in Germany. Uh, there's a guy called Andreas Schmidt. Um, I'll, I'll send you the link afterwards that you can link it in the video where I've interviewed him. So he has this, uh, it's an organization called Jahres Training, or so annual training. It's an international uh, effort where it's people from all around the world. So like our, it's like creating these workshops to get people to read a little bit of the philosophy of freedom. It's like every day, like it's like the very uh, simplistically described. Uh, promise yourself to read 15 minutes of the philosophy of freedom every day over a seven month period. And then they, there are, I think there are nine it's like workshops where people can meet together and talk about what they understood, what they didn't understand, these type of things. So he, he and his sister and a, a few other important people there have created this training course and it's had, I've been, um, yeah, perhaps I'll just refer to the video for anybody who thinks, yeah, this year I want to do philosophy of freedom have a look at what this guy's doing i'm going to be working more with him uh in the this autumn so i'm going to actually be like uh taking part stroke leading some of these i, I don't know the full uh full scope of it yet but i've uh i've made the decision to to work together with uh him and his organization there because i see a lot of good uh being done there so Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. Whatever links you would like me to share that can point people towards your work or this group that you're talking about, more than happy to put that into the description. Thanks. Just one last thought before we sure. wind up. Would you just, maybe you could just say something briefly about why do you think it's so important that people work through this particular book? We are spiritual beings. I'm, I'm thinking of Graham Hancock here, where it's like <laughs> where it's, where it's like civilizations with amnesia. We've forgotten because of the persuasive nature of um, materialism that we are spiritual beings. And through reading the philosophy of freedom, we can begin to experience directly how that is a truth about our essential natures. Sounds like a good enough reason to me. <laughs> well, Angus, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, well, I've, I've learned a great deal myself and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to dive into the book again because I really want to grasp something. I, I want to get something. I shouldn't say I'm going to, I'm going to nail it. Like you said, it's an ongoing process and our conceptual thinking can grow and become stronger and all of those things. But uh, it has inspired me to, to commit to that. So thank you. And yeah, I'll be sure to share all your links and just want to say thank you very much for this conversation. And maybe we can do it again sometime uh, and go a little further. I would love to. It feels like we had that much to say and we said about uh, 
about that much. So yeah, if you if you feel like um, talking again, I'd, I'd I'd be really I'd be really honoured to uh, to come back and to talk more to dig a little bit deeper. Great, thank you. And I would just say at the end as well that you know I really enjoy this podcast. It's great having people on to talk about it. But when it comes down to it, doing our own inner work is really where it's at. Uh, and in terms of actually working through a text or taking up the practice of certain spiritual exercises that are aimed at really making us more and more who we really are or making us better in the world, making us more effective in the world, in our relationships, in our work. That's really the name of the game. I think I want to start sort of adding that at the end of the podcast, that it's fine to sit here and talk about it and listen to a YouTube video about it and everything. But if we can take that next step and actually begin to do some of the work we will see the benefits Fruits. of that and uh, absolutely possibly the world will as well okay well thanks very much again angus and look forward to a real pleasure soon. thanks mick bye all, all the best bye i'll just hit stop and then